Welcome to an AONN Plus podcast event created to provide a platform to engage and inform membership on relevant topics which impact your professional practice. The focus is on the AONN Plus eight domains of knowledge. This podcast will highlight the Navigator Pledge that was developed in 2017. As a navigator, I pledge my head to share knowledge for informed decision making, my heart to empower advocacy and loyalty, my hands to deliver compassion and remove barriers, my hope to embrace and preserve quality of life. Navigators have within themselves the inner strength, the power, and the fortitude to do what is needed for patients. They should never doubt their abilities, knowledge, or willpower to make things happen. Thank you for joining us as we honor the Navigators, special people that make a difference in the lives of those around them. Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to a podcast on the coordination of care. We're specifically going to talk about adolescent and young adult oncology patients. I'm Megan Solinger. I am the Director of Service and Care Delivery with the Ullman Foundation, and I've been an adolescent and young adult patient navigator at the University of Maryland for the past three and a half years, and I'm co-presenting with my colleague, Devin Champa. Hello, everybody. I'm so glad that you could join us today. My name is Devin Champa. I am the AYA clinical social worker in pediatric oncology at the Johns Hopkins Children's Center, as well as the Ullman patient navigator for Hopkins. I typically see patients ages 15 to about 26. And as the University of Maryland patient navigator in the AYA space, I specifically see sort of the whole age range of 15 to 39-year-old patients. So between Devin and myself, we are set up very differently in the hospital and deal with similar yet different issues when it comes to coordination of care. So we're hoping to impart some of our wisdom on you and maybe some best practices and advice to bring back to your institution. We wanted to start with specifically talking a little bit about the adolescent and young adult population, why we think it's an important population to kind of single out and focus on. I know you, Devin, deal with a little bit more of the younger Mm -hmm. age range and the spectrum there. So I don't know if there's anything you want to mention about specific issues and barriers that the young adults face, and then I can tag on to that. Sure. Well, what's so interesting about this population is that most people do not realize that it's its own unique population. And ages 15 to 39 is huge. I mean, so many different life experiences and growth stages happen during that time period. So it's good to figure out why a 39-year-old wouldn't be considered in adult versus young adult, or why a 15-year-old wouldn't be considered in a children's population versus an adolescent. And One of the things that I just mentioned are the growth stages, and that's something important that I see in the population that I work with specifically, is that there are several growth stages and life experiences that typically patients between the ages of, let's say, 15 to 25 go through, and those are very important to create a capable adult. So going through cancer treatment can be a hindrance to those. And one of the things that maybe everybody doesn't know about is that most of our coping skills are not even developed until age 25. And 15-year-olds, different from maybe a 13 or 14-year-old even, will understand a little more about what's going on. So they will be aware that they are facing mortality in a way that 
their peers are not. And so when we're thinking about why this population is unique and a standalone population, it's because of these transition periods that might be halted within the cancer world. Most people that are a lot older have gone through a lot. They have different skills to pull on to help them get through this. They have a different support network around them. But for young kids or people in their mid-20s especially, they're still trying to figure out who they are. They're still trying to figure out who their support network is and how to even advocate for themselves. The idea of social isolation, the ideas of fertility preservation and figuring out who you are in your own identity are all big, big issues that I see with this population. Yeah. And additionally, you talk about the emotional and psychological and just coping skills that patients have. I mean, life experience is a huge piece of this Mm -hmm. puzzle that as you mentioned, sort of in the spectrum from 15 to 39, the range of experience is going to be widely varied. And so the patients that you see sort of on the adult side may have slightly more life experience, slightly more resources, but they also have their own issues and things that they're dealing with Mm -hmm. specifically and differently than someone that is 15, 16, or 21 years old. So financial independence is something that a lot of young adults are working on or working through when they're diagnosed with the cancer diagnosis. So professionally, also relationships are different. Within the AYA range, a lot of people, as you mentioned, Devin, they're learning to become independent. Mm -hmm. And as they're learning to become independent and they're diagnosed with cancer, a lot of the relationships that they have sort of revert back or the dynamics change. So that's when coordination of care also becomes even more complicated for this particular population. And so when we talk about coordination of care specifically for the AYAs, there are lots of different players and lots of different facets and things to consider when we talk about coordination of care. So both of us, Devin and myself, and hopefully everyone listening to this is in that realm of navigation and wondering how to navigate this process for our patients. And so the role of the navigator is perfectly positioned within an institution to be able to help patients navigate the cancer journey. While each institution, even Devon's and myself, our institutions and our navigation sort of system and supports are different, we're positioned perfectly to be able to help support these patients. I kind of always think back to Harold Freeman, the founder of Modern Day Patient Navigation, and what he defined as sort of the main goal of navigation, and that's to help with access. So regardless of where we are and how our institution is set up and how we are positioned within an institution, When it comes to navigation and coordination of care, it's all about access. We're able to help make these connections where there are disconnects. We're able to talk to the different players and work with the different dynamics that each of our patients come with and are faced with when trying to navigate the cancer process. Yes, I completely agree. And one of the key aspects of that coordination of care that I work on specifically with the younger generation within the AYA age range is the fact that that patient's voice needs to be the loudest in the room and that patient's wishes need to be heard. And it takes a team to encourage that, especially when someone's younger and might not be used to being in that role. And I work specifically with a lot of patients that are transitioning from adolescent to young adulthood. And 
most 17 year olds are not thinking, oh, on my 18th birthday, I'm going to retain all of the medical decision-making rights. That's awesome. And any of us at that age, were not faced with understanding the ramifications and the responsibility that that includes. And so having people around you, having a patient navigator that has the time and the experience to really help within that and to relate to the team that this is something that could potentially be traumatic or very different for a patient as they're going through that is one of the keys to having a successful patient experience and a successful kind of care of coordination collaboration between all of these players. Yeah, I also think the navigator is really that one consistent piece throughout the entire journey. So whether you meet a patient at diagnosis, whether someone's coming in because they are relapsed or it's a recurrence, or if someone's coming for a second opinion, you get to meet patients at all different time points in their cancer journey. But the one thing is that you are always that constant. And I think that helps with coordination of care that whether it's the patient or their family or their loved ones, they know who to go to whenever they have any questions or issues and aren't sure what to do or where to go. For many patients, this is their first time dealing with cancer and they don't even know what to ask, where to go, how to weed through all the different resources and things that are out there because we are just bombarded with so much information. It kind of leads to paralyzation. Mm -hmm, Definitely. And even knowing what questions to ask. I mean, that's even difficult. I have experienced so many different consent meetings where the second the word cancer is said, everything else kind of just goes out the window because families and patients are stuck on that one word because of all of the stigma and all of the fear that comes along with that. And so being someone from the start that helps carry them through this, that is really a guide that helps fill barriers and fill gaps, really can help them understand what are the important questions for them. What are some areas that they might need to know that they haven't even thought of yet? And that's something that a navigator can bring to the picture that no other role really dives into as much as navigation. Yeah. And as a navigator, whether you're in community clinic or part of a big hospital system, we have the experience to navigate ourselves within the system. And so when someone comes to us, we're not always recreating things from scratch or from nothing. And so we already have a little bit of experience, if not a lot of experience with certain circumstances, questions, issues. But as a patient or as a family member, so much is unknown, so much is uncertain to be able to confidently say and tell patients where to go and what to do. And having someone on the inside that understands the system is really key. I always sort of think back to personal experience. So the reason I got into navigation is my experience with my dad with cancer. I try to be what we didn't have when my dad was diagnosed. And that's sort of my motivation for wanting to understand and be able to not have my patients learn things the hard way if I've already done that or established that. When my dad was diagnosed, I was his primary caregiver and I was so frustrated that there wasn't one person calling the shots. There's so many times that patients have a medical oncologist, a radiation oncologist, you have primary care, you have your mental health professional, you have so many different players and so many people who have their expertise and they make decisions and calls and prescribe things in a silo, but there's no one person in a lot of cases that is bringing the group together or overseeing all of that. And so for me, I was very frustrated because it can be very dangerous when Mm -hmm. it's not coordinated. And so 
I recommend to navigators to help the patients identify who that primary person is going to be that oversees the care, the coordination of care. And for me and for my family, it was the primary care provider for my dad, but I've also worked with other patients and that's not always either feasible or the person that the patients are most comfortable with. And so we know that there needs to be some coordination and not everything needs to fall on the navigator, but we can bring up these issues and conversations with the patients and their families to at least consider. And it should be something that feels natural to them, someone that they're comfortable with. So in some cases, especially when a patient is a minor or for a young adult and they're just so sick that they have to designate someone to make decisions for them or to coordinate their care, that there is an element of trust and that it is also communicated with the medical team. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of what navigators do well is they understand how to build rapport and they understand how to build trust within this. And something that I always talk to my patients about is that what's going on outside of this hospital is just as important as what's going on inside because life doesn't stop outside of this. And I want that patient to understand that I don't see them as just a cancer patient when they walk through the door, that I, as well as everybody else, see them as everything that they are and everything that matters to them. So understanding how to, let's say, discuss an advanced directive and healthcare agents with someone that just turned 18 years old is different for every patient different in how they want to communicate, different in whether or not it makes them terrified to talk about it or not. And I think those of us that are navigators really are looking for the right way to create trust with different individuals while also creating best practices within the field of navigation. And It can also be very helpful for the medical team to have someone that's a go-to, to have someone to help care for the patient in an emotional and logistical way. Just to take an example of fertility preservation, I have, and as well as Megan, has been through so many different kinds of situations when bringing up fertility preservation. And fertility preservation is something that is offered to patients as a way to help preserve their choices in the future. If, if they choose to give birth to a child, I know that maybe when you're 16 years old, you might not be thinking about it right now, but we want to make sure that we secure that choice for you. And it's different talking about that within all different patients. And it's difficult sometimes with a medical team that wants to understandably get to chemotherapy immediately. So there's a very short amount of time and all of a sudden you're talking to a kid and their parents about something that hasn't ever been on their mind and they need to do it in a split second because the medical team is waiting right there to help treat your cancer. And having someone as a navigator be able to create that balance between the rush as well as making sure that we calmly get all the logistics and create some kind of room for this patient to go through the process of fertility preservation is one way that a navigator can be very useful in a very practical and safe way for these patients. I think it also comes back to, like you said, getting to know your patients individually and what they value what they need and not assuming that it's a one size fits all. Just like the navigation program and individual each fits into the institution, it's not a one size fits all. We also as navigators know and can recognize what 
the limitations are in our own ability to offer things as well as our institution. So it's okay to also make referrals outside of our institution. I always sort of tell people that either the hospital or the Ullman Foundation or just any organization can't be everything to everyone. And so it's okay to go outside to find people the support and the things that they need to make sure that they are getting all their needs addressed, all the barriers to care. And that's primarily what we're doing. So if we have to go outside of our institution, that is okay. And we probably know what those resources are, but it also comes back to helping in knowing what these resources are and documenting them. If you don't document it, it didn't happen, but also that helps with coordination, letting the team know that certain things were addressed and that they're being taken care of because there are so many people that are trying to help each individual patient. Sure. And, you know, medical teams are incredible, well-researched, strong, brilliant people that make up each medical team and a navigator is helping them focus on what they need to focus on by doing a lot of research on those resources and figuring out what exactly might help that person, which gives a little bit more time to maybe the medical team to discuss those options with them to figure out whether that is something that will be very beneficial to a particular patient. And I always think of myself as a part of the medical team, a part of each person's individual care. We are there for advocacy, for resources, for support, for consistency, and just making sure that we have provided that for the patient as well as for the medical team so that everything can work as smoothly as possible in kind of a chaotic, crazy world of cancer. And being part, I also say I'm part of the medical team, but I'm personally not medical as are most, at least patient navigators. But the key piece is that we are part of the medical team. So attending tumor boards, being part of multidisciplinary teams is all part of coordination of care and all part of being able to advocate for our patients. So for example, the AYA population, if I have a patient that comes up on a tumor board or on the roster for a clinic visit in one of these multidisciplinary team settings, you know, specific to a disease, I know where to go and who to go to for any specific needs and also just to relay information. And they also know where to go to, to find me and as the navigator for a unique population. So it's really important also, like I said, establishing your place within the hospital and getting to understand the institution. And there's just so many different ways. And it's sort of based on how each hospital and institution is set up to how you do that. So it might look a little bit different for you, Devin. It might look mm-hmm. a little bit different for some of our listeners. So it is not a one size fits all by any means. Definitely. And to that point, this shouldn't be something that's only thought of as something that's necessary if someone's an inpatient. It can be inpatient, it can be outpatient, clinic based rehab-based, whatever it is, but there's no harm in always knowing to ask for a navigator's help. As a navigator, maybe ask to see a patient that you heard might be struggling or is in the appropriate age range, but there's no harm in making sure that every patient has the right support, that every patient has someone that is advocating for them. And it's not just the patient, it's also the family. I mean, we always make sure that the family feels just as supported as the patient. And it's important to remember, at least for me, working with the younger population is that I consider myself to be the social worker, the navigator for the patients, as well as for the family, because caregivers are the ones that are usually giving the majority of support. And we want to make sure they feel supported too, so that they can give the support 
to the patient. So I think that navigators play a crucial role in the medical field, especially in this unique AYA population. Yeah, and one thing we didn't mention, but I feel like it's been sort of alluded to and probably at least I've been thinking about how coordination of care has been impacted by COVID Mm. is that so many of our patients uh, in hospitals, there are restrictions and limitations to who can be in the hospital with our patients. Mm -hmm. And so it just kind of also reminds me and our listeners that coordination of care may look a little bit different now, but it is just as important now as ever to make sure that there is coordination of care since not everyone can physically be at the hospital with the patient. And so that there are people involved with decision-making and resources and all that kind of stuff. COVID has added an extra layer of complication to an already really complicated concept, but it's really, like you said, Devin, about making sure that each patient is heard, that each patient is being supported in ways specific to them, and that we're not just assuming that what we're doing with one patient applies to this patient, and that we're involving all the right players, whether it's the family members, the loved ones, but then also on the inside, that navigators have a really important role to help bring the best information and the best coordination and patient experience forward to the patient. Definitely. And because there are so many teams that could be part of a cancer patient's journey, like Megan said earlier, I think one of the key things to remember from this discussion is that there should always be someone that is helping navigate through all of those teams. In my experience, our teams at Hopkins have been amazing. Our doctors are amazing. And everybody needs to figure out the best way to coordinate with each other and with the patient, which is a lot. So why not have a navigator there to help with that, to help bring about discussions, to help bring about issues or concerns that the patient might feel comfortable bringing up to you, but not know which doctor or which nurse or which person they're supposed to talk to about it. And I think that there's such a good place out there for navigation in so many different realms. And just like you said, with COVID, it only makes it more complicated. And I think navigators are just even more needed during this time. We are so excited to be able to have the opportunity to talk about our roles as navigators. This is such a unique position to have while you are kind of witnessing and being part of somebody's cancer journey. And it is a privilege, I think, to be able to get close to people when sometimes they are having the worst day of their life. And if you can comfort those people, for me, there is nothing better. And it's so exciting to have the chance to talk about our work here in a podcast format. Thank you for joining AONM Plus and today's engagement with key knowledge leaders to enhance your navigation practice or program. Please visit aonnonline.org for other navigation tools, education, and best practices to advance the role of patient navigation in cancer care across the care continuum.